Welcome to episode 5 of the Believe and Follow podcast. I'm your host, James Ritazzi. This episode is part 3 of our discussion of walking by faith. And joining me today are Keith Sharp, who you met a few episodes ago. He preaches in Mountain Home, Arkansas. And Caleb Churchill, who preaches here in New York City. The topic for today is walking by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7, the Apostle Paul says, we walk by faith, not by sight. So the two questions that I'll throw out to you guys are, first of all, what does it mean? What is walking by faith? Question two is, why walk by faith? If if you don't mind, uh, let me open, then I'll throw it uh, back over to you and Caleb. Um, First of all, the subject is so comprehensive that uh, it's almost inexhaustible. Mm -hmm. Um, But I want to begin, my part at least, with the context of that statement, for we walk by faith, not by sight, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. That is a part of a passage that goes back to 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, and continues down to the end of chapter 5, verse 10. And there's a specific aspect of walking by faith that is very important that I think um, sometimes, at least in my preaching, I've had a tendency to overlook. Uh, so if you don't mind, I'm going to go back and just quickly go through Second Corinthians 4, 16 through 5, verse 10 to get the context of the passage. Would that be all right? I think that's a great idea. Okay, well, all right. He begins in verse 16, Therefore we do not lose heart. To lose heart would be to lose courage, uh, to become discouraged. Uh, to and, and which would, of course, lead us to quit trying to serve the Lord. And what, what is the reason that we do not lose courage, we do not lose heart? Even though our, our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. There's an outward man, the physical body, and I know better than the two of you about the outward man perishing. Uh, I'll be 72 in September. And, and I know that my outward man cannot do the things that I used to be able to do. Uh, and it's going to go downhill, not uphill, as far as the outward man. The body is perishing. But there's an inward man. There's a spirit made in the image of God. And for the Christian, that inward man is being made new day by day as we're turned more and more to the likeness of Jesus Christ, as Paul discusses back in Second Corinthians chapter 3. And he says, uh, furthermore for this, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. That's a beautiful passage. Uh, Remember who wrote this. You turn over to chapter 12, and Paul talks about, in chapter 11, uh, all of the persecutions that he had gone uh, through up to that point in his life, which is about midway of his career as an apostle. 
And you think, how could any man remain faithful after all of that? But he says it's light affliction and it's momentary. So the affliction we go through is light and it's brief. And, but what, what, what is the result of, of enduring that affliction and remaining faithful is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. The glory that comes from, uh, from enduring the affliction, in, in contrast with light, it's weighty. In contra- contrast with the momentary, it's eternal. And that doesn't satisfy me. It says it's far more exceeding. So we're looking for something that is so wonderful that whatever affliction we endure here is but light and momentary in contrast. And what keeps us doing that? He says, verse 18, why we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. That's the essence of walking by faith. The Christian is not looking at what he can see with his physical eye. He's looking at what he cannot see with his physical eye. He's looking with the eye of the mind on things that are eternal and things that are at this time unseen. And, of course, we're talking about uh, the home in heaven. For the things which are seen are temporary. We're just passing through, and this world itself is going to cease to exist. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Our home in heaven is something which will never pass away. Then skipping on down to chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed. This body is going to be destroyed. We have a building from God. This body is going to be raised from the dead and turned into a body which can see no decay and will be a glorious body. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That body we're going to receive in the resurrection is a body that will never decay and will never die, never experience disease, never experience pain. Uh, And so we can say, even so come, Lord Jesus. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. Uh, Everybody wants to have long life and good health. We can't have that here. It may be relatively long in comparison with other people, but really it's brief in comparison with eternity. So we're looking for the eternal body, the, uh, the incorruptible body, the glorious body that God will give us in the resurrection. Uh, and if indeed having been clothed, we should not be found naked. We don't want to be spirits without a body. We want to have that glorious body that God has for us. For we who are in this tent groan being burdened. And so there, even for those who have not gone through the kind of afflictions that Paul went through, we have burdens and we, and we groan. Not because we want to be unclothed, we're not looking for death, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. We're looking for that eternal home from heaven. Now, he who has prepared this uh, for us this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Now, of course, we could discuss that later as far as how the Spirit is the guarantee. But it says in verse 6, so we're always confident. That word confident means cheerful courage. We, we're not going around moping with long faces. We're cheerful in serving the Lord courageously, regardless of what we face here, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. We want to be a rather present with the Lord and absent from the body. That's, then he's in that context, where we walk by faith, not by sight. To walk by faith is to look at the unseen, to keep our minds uh, on things that we cannot now see and touch, 
the things that are reserved for us in eternity. And that's what keeps us going. It's the hope without which we cannot make it. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 24 and 25. It's the hope of eternal life in heaven, 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5. Then I'll finish real quickly, then I'll turn it back to you and, and uh, uh, Caleb. For we are confident, yes, well, pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. The Christian who is deep in faith does not fear death. We're not, that's not something we're longing for as far as wanting to die, but we're ready to go and to be with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim with the prisoner absent to be well-pleasing to him. And so to walk by faith is to seek above everything else, not to please ourselves and not to please other people, but to please the Lord. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So we know we're going to face the Lord in judgment. We spend our lives here trying to please him, looking for that uh, glorious resurrection, the body that is eternal, the home that is eternal in heaven. Caleb, did you want to jump in and add anything at this point? Yeah, well, I would I would say it's important to understand in today's world, it's very important for us to understand what walking by faith does not mean. Um, just as important as it is to figure out what it does mean. You know, I, I think I think sometimes people have the idea that walking by faith means that you're just believing in things that you can't see, that you have no evidence for, that you have no real real reason to believe in. And I, and I think it's very important that we understand that that's not the kind of faith that Paul's talking about in Second Corinthians five. When he says uh, we walk by faith and not by sight, as Keith pointed out, he's really talking about the fact that he chooses not to focus on the trials and the tribulations that are all around him. Um, because if he did, he'd be crushed by them. Um, but instead, his, his, his mind is in the heavens. His heart is in the heavens. And, he, and, and so he's choosing to, to look at what he doesn't see, the things which are unseen, which is the Lord. But I think it's important to understand here um, that Paul's faith is not a blind faith, mm-hmm. um, that, that, that he, has a, he has an evidence-based faith. Um, Jesus said in John 10, if I don't do the works of my Father, don't believe me. But if I do them, though you don't, though you don't believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. You know, this is kind of a surprising statement of Jesus. I think a lot of people um, don't realize that Jesus would say things like this. But, um, but it's interesting to me that Jesus actually says, you know, don't just believe me because I'm saying these things. If it's just my words speaking these things, then, then don't believe me. Um, but if, 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 if I'm doing the works of God, if I'm showing you evidence that this is really from God, then even if you don't want to believe the words, believe because of the works. And I think it's important for us to understand, truthfully, all of us walk by faith every day. Um, you know, when we wake up in the morning and, uh, and, and we breakfast, I mean, you're trusting whatever you ate. I woke up this morning, I had a sandwich for breakfast. I'm trusting that nobody put anything in that deli meat that I bought um, from, from the grocery store. Um, you know, I'm trusting that the ingredients in this uh, – you know, trendy gluten-free bread that I'm eating um, aren't aren't re- that there's really no gluten in it that's going to cause me GI issues or that sort of thing. 
Um, you know, we live by faith every day, and I think sometimes we forget this. You know, sometimes people will kind of uh, contrast faith with science, and they'll say, well, I don't walk by, by faith. I'm a science guy, and I, 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 I trust in what, what science proves. Um, but really, that's, that's not true. All of, us, all of us live by faith every day, and you can't walk across the New York City uh, intersection without, uh, taking a great de- without it taking a great deal of faith in today's world, right? I mean, you know, you've got to trust that all those drivers are going are gonna, are gonna to obey the lights and et cetera, et cetera. I say this just to say, when we, when we talk about walking by faith, it is important that we understand that Paul is not living by some sort of gullible faith that he has no reason to believe. I mean, he saw the Lord... He saw the Lord high and lifted up. He saw the Lord in heaven. He knew, the, he knew the Jewish scriptures, and he came to realize that the Jewish scriptures were fulfilled in Jesus. And Paul has a ton of evidence uh, that has led him to trust in what we don't see. So maybe, maybe a way that's helpful for me to think about this, and maybe it's helpful for others, um, when we talk about walking by faith, faith is believing in what you don't see on the basis of what you do see. Uh, the Hebrew writer says in 11.1, 1, um, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is not just believing without evidence. Faith is believing because of the evidence. It's sometimes surprising when you see how the definitions of certain words have been influenced by what we understand from the Bible, but then you also see how the definitions of some words are very much influenced by what you see from the world at large. And this word faith is one of those words where in the general populace people would define the idea of faith, well, I believe in something without good reason. But that's not the Bible definition of faith. You believe in things unseen, and you're exactly right. We have faith in all sorts of things. There are all sorts of unseen forces that we rely upon every day. We're doing this as a conference call. We know that there are unseen forces that are conducting our voices between us because we are miles and miles apart. So we believe in unseen forces all the time. So the person who says, I've got no interest in faith, is saying something that, at least from the Bible's point of view, doesn't make any sense at all. But the faith in the yeah. Bible is this belief in things unseen, and because of these unseen things that you believe in, you take certain actions, because that's part of the way God sets up the relationship with us. Because of our belief in the things that he's promised, and these unseen things, then we're expected to conduct ourselves in a certain way. I think it's important to understand because there's, there's kind of a spectrum of reactions that we have as people. Um, you know, there are people that live their whole life um, based on a faith that has no evidence to support it um, or very little evidence to support it. You know, all of us grow up believing in things because it's what, it's what our parents believed in or it's what we heard or it's what we were taught in church or et cetera, et cetera. And we grow up believing um, in faith that really we don't have a lot of evidence necessarily for. Um, but at some point, we have to get to a point where we grow up and we mature to the point where, where we develop a faith that is based on evidence. And you've got kind of two extremes here. You've got some people that are gullible. I mean, they just believe things and they don't even know why they believe it. They just believe it. On the other extreme, though, you've got people that are extremely stubborn who have seen 
far uh, more evidence than they need to believe in something, and yet they still refuse to believe it. You know, sometimes it doesn't matter how much evidence you give somebody, they're still not going to believe. It's kind of the problem that Jesus ran into with many of the religious leaders. Um, It didn't matter what kind of miracle Jesus performed in front of their eyes. They weren't going to believe it was from God. They they knew it was a power that was greater than what they had, but they just said, well, he's casting out demons by demons, you know. Um, and, and so, you know, here's an act that's obviously from God, and they're refusing to believe it. I think a lot of people are that way today, too. You know, you've got, you've got people that, that, that are gullible, just believing and never really investigating to see what they're putting their faith in. You've also got people on the other extreme that are just stubborn, and they've seen plenty of reasons to make them believe in Jesus, um, but they still refuse to do it. The Bible, though, and this is very important, the Bible actually espouses and encourages the development of an evidence-based faith. And, and I think that's really important for people to understand because a lot of people have the misconception that, you know, G- Jesus just wants me to believe and he doesn't want me to really think for myself or anything like that. Um, but that's actually the opposite of what Jesus taught. And if we read carefully the Gospels and if we read carefully uh, the New Testament, it becomes very clear that, that, that we're supposed to have evidence for everything that we believe. That we're supposed to not only have evidence for it, but we're supposed to be able to give people a reason for the hope that's in us, the beliefs that we have. And that thought even is conveyed in the Old Testament. Remember the book of Isaiah in chapter 1 says, Come, let us reason together. So God is always making the point that you're going to follow my instructions. You're going to believe what I'm telling you for good reason. I'm giving you good reasons for this. Did you want to jump in at this point, Keith? Uh, yeah, that would be fine. I'm going to pick up over passages that, that Caleb introduced, and that's Hebrews 11.1, 1, which, of course, is the biblical definition of faith. And, of course, oftentimes the commentators will argue, well, it really doesn't define faith. It doesn't define the word faith. That's not the point. But it defines saving faith. Uh, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The New American Standard renders that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And I think it would put the two translations together, the New King James and the New American Standard, that we can see the fullness of what he's talking here about uh, faith, where, where the New King James has substance, the uh, New American Standard has uh, assurance. Right. Our, our hope is based on our faith. And so our hope, which of course is uh, looking for things that we do not see, uh, hope is desire plus expectation, things that we do not see, and, and, and Paul talks about that again in Romans 8, 24 and 25. But our faith supports our hope, and our hope is no more secure than our faith is strong. Just like uh, the, the Freedom Tower uh, in uh, lower Manhattan is, is the tallest building in New York City now. Uh, but uh, that, as far as that building goes into the sky, it's no more secure uh, then its foundation is strong. And the foundation of our hope is our faith. And it's, it's no more, that hope is no more secure than the faith is strong. And then he says the evidence or the conviction of things not seen. And just as you and Caleb both have pointed out, then faith is not a leap in the dark. Uh, that's, that's superstition. Superstition is the, well, I don't have any reason for it, but I believe it anyway. That's the leap in the dark. 
but rather faith uh, is, yes, it's things that we don't see, but it's based on evidence that yields reasonable conviction in those things. I used to teach history, and, and I taught that uh, Christopher Columbus uh, was, uh, first saw the West Indies in October of 1492. And I think anybody that studied, you know, just a little bit of history would agree with that. And yet I never saw Christopher Columbus. I've never even seen the West Indies. And, and I've never seen the Minion, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria, although I've, of course, that, that's, that's not uh, uh, Christopher Columbus's ships. That's, uh, uh, yes, it was. But at any rate, yeah, I've never seen any of the, Right. I've never seen any of those things. Uh, I've seen uh, reconstructions of the Minion, Pinta, and Santa Maria, but that's all they were was reconstructions. Uh, but I believe those things because there's reasonable evidence to support those things. And by the way, those who say, well, we, we want to go by science, what they usually are, of course, is evolutionists. And evolution is really a matter of faith just as much so as belief in the creation by an omnipotent God is because none of us saw the beginning, and the beginning cannot be recreated. Now, you can uh, get scientific evidence for either side, but it's still something that we're trusting in based on evidence. And I believe, of course, that the evidence is stronger for uh, creation by an omnipotent God. Uh, another thing in verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which were seen were not made of things, which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Faith begins and ends in the realm of the unseen. It goes back to the unseen, all-powerful God who spoke the world into existence and looks forward to the heaven that we cannot see. So it begins and ends in the realm of the unseen. Then another aspect of faith is shown in verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith includes not only conviction, believing that God is, but also trust. We believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I believe with all of my heart, if I will remain faithful to the Lord throughout this life, he will reward me with a home in heaven. That's because I trust him. That trust is based on the fact that he's always kept his promises. And that, that of course, is very uh, obviously shown by the Old Testament, even the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promises. It took 2,000 years for him to completely fulfill the Abrahamic promises, but he kept his promise. God always keeps his promises. I can trust him. And so faith is a conviction that is based on reasonable evidence. It begins and ends in the realm of the unseen, and it also includes trust that God will do what he said he will do. I want to lay down three little threads, and I'll leave it up to you guys to decide which one you want to pick up. So first of all, I generally don't like to, when, when people out in the world get into the faith versus science argument, really engage in that. That argument doesn't come from Scripture. That's a modern-day construction. As far as Scripture is concerned, truth is truth, and properly understood faith is going to agree with properly understood science. So if there is a conflict, it means somebody's got something wrong. I'll just leave that right there for a second. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18 shows you that what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is permanent. That's contradictory of what people would understand outside of what the Bible teaches. So that presents a challenge to all of us, I think, to have faith in what's unseen. That's thread number two. 
And oh, and then thread number three, because Keith brought us up to Hebrews 11 verse 6, and it mentions Noah, and Noah pleased God because Noah walked with God. So this brings in the concept of walking. Noah walked with God. Noah's ancestor, Enoch, was no more because he pleased God because he walked with God. Either one of those three threads, one of you guys can pick up. Caleb, I'll give you the first shot. Go ahead. Yeah, well, and you asked the question earlier, um, why mm-hmm. walk by faith? And and uh, and I think that, that Paul is answering that question in Second Corinthians 4 and 5. I mean, he's really... He's really helping us to see the the emptiness of walking by sight. Because truthfully, I mean, not all of us have, go through the same sorts of trials and tribulations that Paul went through. Um, but the truth is that, that all you've got to do in life uh, in order to experience suffering is, is live long enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if, if you, and if you don't live long enough, then everybody else is going to suffer because of you anyways, right? So, I mean, really, life is full of suffering, and, and as we grow up and we mature, I mean, life just, there's just more and more suffering that we experience as we get older. And so I think what Paul is trying to say is, um, it's really not a question of, it's really not a question of, um, uh, of, of, whether or not to choose to walk by faith, it's really a question of who are you going to put your faith in? You know, we, don't, we all live by faith. The only question we get is, uh, is what will we put our faith in? What, what will we truly choose to believe in? And I think really what Paul's saying in Second Corinthians 4 and 5 is um, the reason why we need to put our faith and choose to walk by faith in God is because really the, the things you put your faith in in this world will eventually always disappoint you. Um, you know, you, you could have good health now, but eventually, as Keith said earlier, I mean, it's not going to last. You have good looks now, but eventually they're not going to last. You may enjoy a, a, a beautiful life now, but eventually it's not going to last. And so Paul says in Second Corinthians 4, um, you know, in verse 18, we're looking at, the, at not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And that's the thing. Um, you know, walking by faith in God has a promise not only in this life, but in the life to come. It's the promise of getting to experience what God created us to experience that fellowship with him, that relationship with him, that walking with him um, that, that, that uh, the Hebrew writer describes Noah as doing. And, and so, uh, you know, really the only, the only choice, it's not whether to believe, but it's what we believe in and what we choose to walk by faith in. And, and, uh, and you can put your faith in, you know, in the philosophies of this world, uh, but they're empty. They disappoint. Um, you can put your faith in uh, the leaders of this world, uh, but they, they also disappoint. You know, Jesus uh, refused to entrust himself to any man because he knew it was in man. Um, and, and I think the same is, is true for us. You know, the more we put our trust in, uh, in, in and America's learning this well right now, the more we put our trust in, in worldly, worldly leaders, um, the more disappointed we become. Um, because, because people aren't able to... Uh, to, to satisfy. There's something within us that, that can only be satisfied in God. And so, and so really, I, I think the answer to why, why put your faith in God is, why walk by faith in God, is, is really, it's, he, he's the only thing that we were created to be satisfied in. 
is the only thing that we're ultimately going to find fulfillment in. And, 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 so, uh, and so we're seeking not just the, the, the momentary pleasures of life, but we're seeking the eternal joy that comes from uh, pleasing him. That's a good point. It's a temporary versus permanent question. We put our faith in God because he is the creator, because he is from everlasting to everlasting. Like Peter said, where else are we going to go? Who else could we put our faith in? And if we put our faith in anything else but God, then we're believing in the thing that's temporary. That will ultimately disappoint. And that's one of the themes that we see especially brought out in the New Testament. What's temporary? What's permanent? You want to put your treasure where things are permanent. Keith, go ahead. Okay, well, let me pick up where uh, Caleb was in in that we, we put our faith in God. And what does that mean to put our faith in God? Mm-hmm. Think about the absurdity of someone says that he believes in God or he believes in Jesus Christ, but he ignores what God says in his word and just lives the way he wants to, worships the way he wants to, uh, and just absolutely ignores what Christ has said, what the Father has said. Uh, that's not faith, that's lack thereof. And of course, that leads to Romans ten seventeen. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And and so to walk by faith is to walk by what God says in his word. And that also is how faith saves us as we do what God tells us to do in his word. In fact, I want to go back to Hebrews 11. uh, And as he calls the roll call to the faithful or the the hall of faith, uh, look at Hebrews 11 verse 7. By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Now there is in one verse the summation of salvation by faith. And there's four steps. Now what God requires of us in, in this age, the last age, is different from what he required of Noah. The the worldwide flood was a one-time, unrepeatable event. He will never again destroy the world by water. But the essence of salvation by faith is the same in every age. And that's the reason that Hebrews 11 can be in the Bible, because the principles of salvation by faith never change. It says, by faith, Noah. All right, now, how did Noah, Noah believe God? But what did he believe? By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, God spoke to Noah. (laughs) And that's where salvation by faith begins, is what God says. In Genesis chapter 6, beginning in verse 13, he told Noah to make an ark of gopher wood, to make it uh, covered inside and outside with pitch, to make it 300 cubits long and and, and, uh, 50 cubits uh, wide, 30 cubits high. Uh, and uh, he, he told him to make it of gopher wood and so forth. You're familiar with the dimensions of the ark that are given there, three uh, decks that are given in Genesis chapter 6, verses 13 through 15. So God spoke to Noah, and Noah believed what God said by faith, Noah. 
And then he says he moved with godly fear. Well, the last verse of Genesis chapter 6 says, Thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him, so he did. He didn't just do some of what God commanded. He did everything God commanded in the way God commanded him to do it. And then it says in Hebrews 11 verse 7, By which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Uh, and uh, in, he, in Genesis 7 verse 1, uh, the Lord told Noah to enter the ark because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. And he was saved by faith. So here's the four steps to salvation by faith are the same in every age. God speaks, man believes, man obeys, God saves. Now the specific requirements have changed from age to age, but the principle of salvation by faith is always the same. It's never changed from the very beginning. God speaks. Man believes, man obeys, God saves. I just wrote that down in pencil on my notepad here. So you mentioned God speaks, man believes, man obeys, God saves. Always in that order. In that order and from those sources too because you have to get to where you're hearing what God spoke. Right. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount goes through a number of things where he says, you have heard such and such, but I tell you. And so he's emphasizing the fact that people are telling you what God said, but that might not be exactly right. But I'm telling you such and such, and I'm telling you the right. truth. And that's an important distinction. What are you going to believe in? Because what comes from man, unless a human being is faithfully relaying what God spoke, then what comes out of his mouth is temporary. Whatever it is, no matter how good it sounds, it's temporary. And I think that permanent temporary dynamic is central to this walking by faith issue. Yes, and also the difference between uh, humans and, and God is humans are fallible, God is infallible. Humans make mistakes, God never makes a mistake. When you talk about walking by faith, the implication is uh, the word faith means trusting, and so I think I think it does it does it should force us to consider that if I'm going to choose to put my faith in God, then that means that I have to choose to live to walk in the way that He has called me to walk, to choose to trust that God's ways really are best. Um, and again, that implies faith because they don't always seem best to me. You know, God's laws don't always seem right to me. God's laws don't always make perfect sense to me. And yet, um, and yet what God is calling us to do, just as he called Abraham to do, and just as he called Noah to do, was to obey him on the basis of the evidence that he had already given them. You know, the proof that he had already provided that he is God was sufficient for them to obey. And it wouldn't be until after the obedience that they would come to see the value or the importance of the obedience. You know, sometimes God's instructions like go forth from your land, from your father's house, your country, um, so they don't always make a whole lot of sense in the moment. Um, you know, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and offer him up as a sacrifice. Um, that was a quite puzzling, uh, puzzling command, I'm sure, to Abraham when he received it. 
But faith is choosing to trust, even when you can't see how it's going to work out, to trust that God is really going to work it out and that God really is going to provide and take care of you and that God's ways really are, in the end, going to be what's best for us. So deviating from God's instruction equals unbelief, equals not believing the instruction. I believe something else is better. And even though we may be deviating because of lack of care or lack of careful planning, ultimately the way Scripture looks at it is if you're not going to follow the instructions, it means that you don't believe, and that's a lack of faith. So, Keith, did you want to jump back in now? Uh, I want to pick up where, where Caleb was speaking about Abraham mm-hmm. in Genesis chapter 21 and his, the command of God to him to offer up Isaac, whom uh, God calls your only son. Abraham had other sons, but Isaac was the only son of promise, uh, and uh, he was the dearest object on this earth uh, to Abraham. Uh, and yet Abraham obeyed without question and without delay. Now that's faith uh, in, in going up to Moriah to offer his only son, his, the only son of promise, uh, the one that he, uh, all of his hopes were centered in, Isaac. And it, it says in uh, Abraham never understood why God was commanding that or what God was going to do until after he had already obeyed the command. Look what the writer says in Hebrews chapter 11, 17-19. My faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed should be called. See, here was his faith, here was his hope, that Isaac was the one through through whom the Abraham promises would be fulfilled, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Isaac, or excuse me, Abraham did not understand what God was going to do. In his mind, he had already killed that young man. And in his mind, God was going to raise him from the dead. Well, he didn't actually kill him. God stopped him from doing that. He did not raise him from the dead. He did not understand why the command was given. He did not understand how it would be worked out, but he understood the command and he obeyed it to the letter. And this brings the walk concept into this too, because we see in Abraham a maturity, a progression of his faith, because in the beginning he didn't have the same faith that that we see demonstrated in uh, Genesis 21. So we see a progression as, like both you and Caleb are saying, he follows the instructions and he sees the outcome. But if you never get to that place where you're hearing God's word and you're following the instructions, then you're never following that progression. And this is where the concept of, it's not just a static moment of faith, it's a walking by faith, which means staying with God through time, not running ahead, can two walk together unless they have an agreement? Amos 3.3. 3. Go ahead. I was just thinking along those lines. I think that's absolutely true. I, I don't think it's an accident that you see this idea of walking come up in so many of the New Testament letters. 
uh, and uh, you know, I'm reading Colossians, um, talking about walking in Christ. You talk, Ephesians is about walking worthy of the calling of Christ. First um, John one, walking in the light as He Himself is in the light. Um, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. And this is one of the cool things about getting to uh, getting to be a father too, is uh, is getting to watch. Uh, a newborn learn how to grow up and learn to walk. Um, you know, as you read the stories of of these men and women of faith, if you were to just look at certain snapshots of their life, they don't always look like very trusting people. You know, some of the people in Hebrews 11 that are mentioned are actually a little bit surprising, um, and certainly, if you only knew certain things about Abraham's life, the fact that he's called a man of faith would also be surprising. There are times where Abraham lacked faith. And, and so I, I do think it is helpful to think of faith as a journey um, that we're on. And really, you know, the, the idea of walking implies a direction. Uh, you, you've entitled your blog, Believe and Follow, and I think that's uh, a helpful idea because really walking by faith implies that we are following in the footsteps of Jesus, that we're walking in his direction, that we're following after his pattern. But that doesn't mean that we're going to just start on this journey of faith and then, uh, and then perfectly obey him for the rest of our life. In fact, that hasn't been the way it's worked in most cases throughout history. And I think that's his point in First John. Um, his point in First John 1 is if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is, is not in us. Um, you know, we are, not, we are not so naive as to think that just because we are Christians that that has uh, solved entirely our problem of sin and that we, we have been totally removed from sin and that we never stumble. Um, you know, he says if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Well, that's kind of an interesting statement because you would think if walking in the light means that we're walking perfectly, well, then why would we need to be cleansed of, of all sin? <laughs> um, you know, but I think that there, there's a tension there for a reason. The idea is that, that as we walk in the light, we are growing to become more and more like Christ. But that's a process. That doesn't happen overnight. It's not, it's not achieved overnight. I'm becoming more and more like Christ as I walk. And, and that's why John, in his letter in 1 John, spent so much time talking about children of God versus children of the devil. Because those who are children of God are continually becoming more and more like God. And those who are, who are children of the devil are becoming more and more like the devil. So this idea of walking by faith, I think, is helpful um, it, it, because it is a process. And I can't expect uh, my, uh, my two-month-old son to just be able to walk without stumbling. He can't even crawl yet. Um, in the same way, my two-year-old, uh, who now does walk, um, he still trips, I mean, constantly. I mean, he trips a lot. And even though I'm 30 years old now, um, you know, I'm still not to the point where I never trip. I still stumble sometimes. Um, but I, but I've, I've grown over the course of my life, and I think the same is true for us, spiritually speaking. Uh, walking by faith is a journey on which we are becoming more and more like Christ. And as we stumble, we get back up and we keep 
heading in the same direction following uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus. I would just end with this thought. If you, if you push that metaphor just a little bit further, um, John will say in chapter 2 of First John and verse 3, By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I've come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. And by this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. So really, walking by faith is choosing to fix our eyes on Jesus, to study him, to learn about him, and to choose to try to walk the same way that he walked, to try to live the same way that he lived, to try to talk the same way that he talked. And as we fix our eyes on Jesus, little by little, just like a father, uh, a son looking at his father becomes more and more like his father, in the same way as we fix our eyes on Jesus, as we fix our eyes on the father, we will walk, begin to walk more and more like him and be more and more pleasing to him. This brings us to the conclusion of episode 5. In these first five episodes, I have been laying the groundwork for the important message that I am planning to deliver in episode 6. Episode 6 is somewhat of a summary episode. I encourage you to make sure you have listened to all five episodes in preparation for episode 6 that will be out next Tuesday. And I especially encourage you to carefully listen to episode 6 and take this important message to heart. Till next week, goodbye and God bless. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The judgments of the Lord are true. All together, more to be.